Hello, I am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, a Silhouette Interview. The Silhouette Conversations are sparked from a list of standardized questions. We have the good fortune to hear firsthand from teaching exemplars about their teaching and teaching life. Today, our Silhouette guest is Dr. Kenyatta R. Gilbert. Dr. Gilbert is the Dean with the School of Divinity, as well as Professor of Homiletics with Howard University. Welcome, Dean Gilbert, to the conversation. Thanks so much for having me. So let's get started with our 13 questions. Oh. Number one, and they're literally 13 numbered questions, right? So number one, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Well, I can say this very uh, clearly and um, assuredly, I did not want to be a preacher. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I thought since I loved art and I sketched a lot when I was a younger um, a younger guy, uh, I wanted to be an architect. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought that I had the uh, the ability to sort of see and imagine what creating things uh, could be just based on what I my 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 understanding of what architects uh, did. And uh, of course, uh, when geometry came and all of the the math uh, things that were expected of me, uh, I decided very quickly that uh, doing architecture was not going to be my lane. <laughs> You know, they got computers that do that now. Nobody has to do that anymore. <laughs> actually, actually, homiletics and it makes sense to me out of architecture, but that's just mm. that's just me. Okay. Mm -hmm. Who was who was proud of you when you became a teacher? Oh my, oh my. My entire community and, and especially my teachers. Um, my mother is a very quiet woman, uh, very introverted. But the pride that she had, um, knowing that I was moving into this particular space, uh, it it mattered more to me than um, what others uh, thought or whatever uh, others um, um, said. I wanted I wanted to certainly make uh, my cradle community proud of the work that I that I'd begun. And so uh, I'm 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 very thankful for my mother. Uh, I do think that the ancestors dwell um, and remain in uh, my spirit. And um, I don't know many who have uh, strong and uh, prominent uh, parents who, in some way, uh, does not want to make. Um, that parent or parent uh, proud. And so um, having a father who who died when I was 19 and thinking about sort of what, how my life has unfolded, uh, I do think about uh, him quite often and um, what he would have thought knowing that his son was moving in this direction. So tell us, tell us your parents' names and where they grew up. Yeah. So both of my parents grew up in Waco, Texas. That's my hometown. <laughs> right. Right. Um, uh, my father grew up on the south side of Waco in a very impoverished area 
referred to at the time as butcher pen, which is where they slaughtered pigs and and cattle. And he grew up with in a family of four siblings. Um, his father was a minister. Uh, and then uh, two of his sons became ministers. Uh, and so it uh, was a, a, a Christian household um, where he was reared and um, and shaped spiritually uh, as well as as a person who valued uh, and valued family. My mother grew up on the east side of Waco, uh, which is the predominantly African-American side of the of, of the city. And she attended Paul Quinn College, which was the HBCU in uh, in Waco. And so that particular area, uh, I don't think she went very far uh, from there, but she uh, was a graduate from uh, Paul Quinn College. And so so they were firmly rooted in the city of Waco. And um, and I remained there through my college days before uh, launching uh, from that space to New Jersey. Yeah, a long way. It's a long way. Next question. Who has influenced your teaching for the better? Believe it or not, my students have made me a better teacher. I can't say. To be honest with you, I've studied with some wonderful, mind, great creative minds and scholars, but uh, I would say I had very few good teachers. Really, in the class, in the in the in the in the, um, the classrooms where I uh, learned, I guess, uh, much academically, the teachers were not necessarily uh, paying attention to the reception of the learner as mm-hmm. much as they were sort of the, the bankers depositing mm-hmm. information mm-hmm. Uh, from their own scholarly projects and, and, uh, and so forth. Uh, so I would, but I would say that there was a select few um, who immediately comes to mind is uh, my New Testament professor at the time, Dr. Brian Blunt, mm-hmm. who recently retired from Union uh, Presbyterian Seminary in Richmond. Um, just fascinated by um, his command of his subject and uh, his creativity and having uh, a love for preaching and being a great preacher himself, uh, a humble uh, person. Uh, I admired him and still admire him. What am I saying? Ad- admired him. I admire him greatly. Mm-hmm. What has surprised you about teaching or the teaching life? That I could, um, in fact, create space for myself, having been given academic freedom to teach where I teach. Um, I sincerely uh, believed upon graduating, um, well, actually before graduating as an ABD, uh, student that I would have to transport all of what I've learned in a in a Eurocentric, primarily Eurocentric environment, and import that into a space, um, into whatever space that I was going to um, going to teach. And initially, I did, and uh, I found when I when I 
ultimately landed uh, at Howard that I could not utilize. I could not use much of what I had been taught. Um, but having been the only person teaching homiletics on this faculty uh, for 17 years now, I've had a lot of space for this to become a lab laboratory, if you will, um, for me. What's a favorite nickname by which you were called by a loved one? Oh, everyone calls me Yada, uh, who mm -hmm. knows me very closely. Uh, okay. <laughs> Yada. Mm -hmm. What profession other than teaching would you like to attempt? So you mentioned architecture. Mm -hmm. Um as a child, but is there something now that if you had time, space, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like I would, I wish I could put my hands on what what Lynn Westfield is doing right now. I I want to do podcasting. I is really that right? Oh well, yeah, we can get you a microphone. That's not hard. <laughs> you do have a podcast voice that works. Well, oh well, thank you for telling me that. I I'm, I'm encouraged. <laughs> Put you on the radio. Yeah. Next question. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy writing in longhand? And if you do, what's your preference of ink pen or writing utensil? Hmm. Yeah, so I like uh, gel pens. And I do uh, primarily write in longhand before I even commit to um, typing anything, uh, especially sermons. Uh, my, my mind works in a particular way. Um, where I'm too conscientious about, you know, well, just to be disclosive, I'm a bit of a perfectionist. And sometimes I waste uh, thoughts that have not fully matured in erasing or editing too quickly when I'm typing. But when I'm writing, I get things on the page that help me to come back and to further develop the thought. If 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 that makes sense, and so, process. You got your process. That's the creative yeah. process. Yeah, I'm a creative process. Now, if I tried to take a written manuscript to the pulpit, I would struggle a bit, just because sometimes I can't read my writing. Uh, the ideas come so quickly that uh, my writing looks like chicken scratch, and so um, so if I tried to take what I've written on the page longhand into a, into the pulpit, I would really have a difficult time because I do primarily preach from a manuscript. So you bring you bring the typed manuscript to the pulpit. That's okay. right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And by that time you've edited and edited and edited. So right. are you standing there in the preaching moment editing your manuscript in your mind? In my mind sometimes, you know, I uh I'm an itinerant preacher. So, you know, most of the spaces where I'm invited uh, it's the first time. It it would be a first time. Yeah. So I have to really, um, I don't wait. I don't stay in the office as many reverends do. And then they're invited out in the at the midpoint of the service. Or um, I need to be there to scan, to do that visual exegesis. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's going to tell me whether or not my, my manuscript is too long, what I need to edit. Um, yeah. And just to read the moment. Mm -hmm. What's your superpower? Oh man! Woo. My superpower. This is going to sound very pious, but it really is prayer. 
and you know, I I really feel uh, anxious and inadequate in much of what I do uh, for God and for for others without a disciplined prayer life. And when I'm out of sync and not fully attuned because of whatever other distractions come my way, um, that's when I feel the most vulnerable uh, in a world that um, is not kind to human beings. In the mean world. Where did you learn that? Who taught you that? To pray? Mm -hmm. My my father was a... Oh, he prayed all the time. And... um, and made us <laughs> little when I did not think to pray um, to every night to come to the bedside, kneel on our knees, hold our hands, and we would just pray. Uh, not anything lengthy or anything, just, you know, God lay me down to sleep. I pray to the Lord my soul to keep. When I, should, when I rise before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And we would do that every every night. Um, there was not a meal time where we didn't pray. Um, Sunday consisted of prayer and the devotion before we could eat. Uh, so, and my father always um, visited hospitals as a pastor and prayed for sick people. And so this was all sort of caught than, than taught. Um, and I, I feel... Um, I feel like my prayer life in some ways is not uh, as deeply wedded to uh, exposition of scripture, but I, I sense things that help me to discern what, what might need to be said uh, in that, in that, in that moment or prayed, prayed about uh, for other people uh, with whom I'm praying. I pray through text messages. Now, if I, if I know that you are, Mm-hmm. to hold me a while and I have to jump to another thing mm-hmm. uh, I will type I will text out a prayer um, just to let people know that I'm thinking about them and praying for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 21st century it works <laughs> right? it, it works. does so now question number nine we have to question number nine question number nine is our most infamous question Oof. okay what is your favorite cuss word oh my gosh <laughs> that's not your favorite cuss word yeah, you know it's funny Lynn, if you ask any of my friends uh-huh. so my, my father not in our presence never swore never used profanity. my father never swore I never heard my father swear I never, never not once and so I've always been afraid of using profanity mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because of the perception of others who would think did he just curse mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. Something of that sort, but I don't curse. I, I really don't. I, I don't. You know, I don't judge people who do, especially if they're doing it in a way that's more comical and not insulting. That mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. use of profanity, mm-hmm. and so. But you know, um, I I do. You know what? I do remember when I was playing football, and I use profanity. Uh, uh, in the company of my high school friends, and they were like, "Kenyatta, don't do that. You, you don't even curse. Yes. You don't. You don't do it right. <laughs> this is not you. You don't even do it right." So, 
So, uh, so yeah, this is not your, this is not your thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, next question. Mm -hmm. How have you survived certain violences of teaching? Well, let me, let me say this. Uh, when I first started teaching at Howard, again, I was doing a lot of importing my Princeton sort of education into an environment that did not care so much about about the fact that I had gone to Princeton, right? I didn't come with an elitist attitude, but I do recall, um, and I was an adjunct here at that time, uh, I do recall one of the students becoming unnerved by, I don't know if it was something I said or or the person just didn't like me because of where I'd you know, been educated or had another traumatic experience from some other professor. But that student said to me, you Princeton boys think that you are all of that. And so the person put, you know, sort of their finger in my face and I was like, okay, you don't do that. Uh -huh. And um, before I was out of character, the other sisters in the course, they felt like they needed to protect me, which they did. Um, I did not know if this person was stable mentally or just, or what, uh -huh, uh -huh. just the threat of violence um, in that particular scenario. I felt as many perhaps do today, you just don't know um, what mental state folks are in when you're instructing them. You may say something, you may give them a bad grade and, you know, the repercussions and consequences of doing so might be um, something you don't expect. And so I'm always uh, trying to be mindful uh, that I'm uh, respectful. I, I, you know, I attempt to stretch people beyond what they think they um, um, have the capacity uh, to endure. But uh, at the same time, I'm mindful that not everyone is in the same place, uh, spiritually, mentally, uh, intellectually, and I try to be discerning in that regard. Um, I want to teach and make it home. <laughs> I really That's do. exactly right. I understand. I understand. Yeah. Ooh, and come back the next day. Right? Come back the next day. <laughs> Ooh, I understand. That's right. Um, what healings have you witnessed or received in teaching or the teaching life? Oh my. When I'm my last class, every every uh, semester that I teach, I have I form a bond with the students. It doesn't really doesn't matter the composition of the course. Uh, but in my introductory uh, course, at the very last meeting, uh, we all pray corporately for one another. And I solicit their prayers for me um, just as I pray for them. And we do it, you know, holding hands um, in whatever space. And I just, I say, you know, let's just pray corporately. And um, and folks are just praying in their own uh, own way. And no one singular, no one person um, is sort of dominating the prayer. And so, you know, I may start and then I may close the prayer. But we're all just sort of praying for different things, for each other's ministry, for folks to, you know, to continue to develop in their preaching life. All of all of that um, 
And that has meant a lot to me. It really, it really has uh, to know that folks are praying for me. Um, is 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 um, is amazing. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. What have you enjoyed most about the teaching line? I love to see the light bulb come on, and I love to for folk, for folks to you know alums to come back and say, "Wow, I utilized your four task method, and it works." And um, and uh, it's helped me to organize myself in a way that I would not have previously done. Um, I'm not, I've preached, you know, in the lectionary um, sort of process through that process. It's a little more difficult to do when you're an itinerant preacher, but I teach a course called Preaching the Lectionary on Special Occasions and introducing students who come from traditions where the lectionary is not used. Many of them very much so appreciate more of a systematic way of 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 um, creating a preaching rhythm, and so you know when folks come back, send me an email and say, you know, I really appreciate um, what you were able to uh, to teach us, and um, that's really all I think I um, um, I need to see. That's right. That's <laughs> that, right. That, that the investment there's a return on the investment. Yeah. It's worthwhile, right? You don't you don't teach in vain, you don't preach in vain, right? It's it's yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. Last question. Mm-hmm. At the conclusion of your teaching career, so not 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 now, you just assume the dean's position, so not now, but at the okay. at the conclusion of this teaching career, mm-hmm. what miracles will you have performed? Oh my goodness. I will have opened up space for others, so much space for others that the investment that I'm making right now would be fruit for my re- the remainder of my days. I, I, I sincerely mean uh, for my life to open up space for others. And um, one example of that um, in just recent times is um, I knew that coming into this decanal role, I would have to in some way sacrifice my teaching life um, in at least in the immediate. And so the way in which I thought about it um, was I knew because I'm the only homiletician on the faculty that I would need to replace myself. And so as I thought about it, because I've never really thought about myself as a senior scholar, you know, I feel like, you know, with my age that I'm really more of a mid-career um, scholar, Um, And in some ways, that's true, but in other ways, relative to folks who are coming through homiletics programs now, I'm an old head. So having the opportunity to open up space for folks who are in their programs now to do some adjunct teaching here, um, really, that's gratifying um, because I know that folks helped me and they opened up space for me to develop uh, myself. Uh, Dell Andrews was uh, uh, an amazing uh, mentor um, in 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 our guild, and um, you know, in terms of publications, uh, he offered me my first, really my first real contract to write uh, an essay and an article, and he would do that for so many of us who would not normally have sort of the support 
um, from uh, schools that did not affirm us in the ways in which they affirm, had affirmed my uh, my white counterparts. Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of thing where I feel like I have to pay it forward. Um, that's that's um, that's important to me. Mm-hmm. And I think in a time and a space that feels siloed, that feels narrow, that feels at times oppressive, to Mm. take the power that you have, um, Mm. to dispute the gatekeepers, to open up space, to provide uh, Mm. resources and wherewithal for people that are coming behind you is is felt as miraculous, right? That's not to be said lightly, right? That creating space, opening space is a holy thing to do for people. So thank you. That language of holy, it is a holy. Yeah, thing. yeah it's a holy task, right? Hold, holding, creating space, hold, holding space is is what so many of us need, right? So you're talking about stepping into the need, stepping into the gap for people. Um, so thank you. Mm. Thank you for the interview. That's it. I wanted to keep talking. <laughs> that's, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but you're welcome to come back again. All right. <laughs> Thank to our you. listeners, we invite you to subscribe to the Wabash Center newsletters. Teaching hubs and media drop will keep you informed. See our website to subscribe to these newsletters. You can get information on our website about our cohort groups, our educational resources, as well as our regranting program. A special thanks to our sound engineer, Paul Utterback, and to our podcast producer, Rachel Mills. The music which frames the Silhouette podcast is the original composition of Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 28 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How was that, Paul?